Good evening, everyone. It would seem that I'm still here, wouldn't it? Yes. I think I'll always be. At least my voice will always be, won't it? That's something of a reassuring thought. No matter what happens to me. I have a story for you. I want to tell it right away. Perhaps because it's a long one, and one that I dearly love. And perhaps also because I don't have many more left to tell you until we reach 100. Since that frightens me, I want to focus instead on the things I love, and not the things I fear. I love stories. I love monsters. I love telling you stories about monsters. I fear the end, whether it's the end of myself, the end of this show, or even only the end of season one of this show. I fear fading into non-existence, even temporarily. I fear my own absence. How prideful and wrong of me. Nevertheless, all that is the truth. And so let's get to the story. I hope you don't mind. I hope you're ready. Once upon a time, a mad king was in desperate need of a champion. The king was pained and poisoned of mind for he was haunted by nightmares of a terrible creature living in a cave many miles from his kingdom. And the most terrible thing about these nightmares was that the creature was real. Or at least the king insisted that it was, and no one could dispute this. Firstly, because he was king, and secondly, because it was well known that many, many years ago, he had fought and destroyed such a creature with his own hands and his own sword. A large reptilian thing, like a dragon with no wings, some called it. And though he was celebrated and adored for his victory, he had never been the same man since the battle had happened. It is a poison, a blight on this land, this land that is pure and good he muttered over and over to whoever might listen. And though many warriors silently dismissed the king's request, since there were no reports in the land of any people or livestock being killed by a great beast, one champion listened intently. And this is a story about her, about this champion. She too, you see, was desperate. Desperate to prove her worth. 
for though she was strong and noble and fair, she was no knight. She had not proven herself in war, nor was she from a lineage worthy of knighthood, and she wanted so badly to be a knight. More than that, she wanted to be a general, a commander, perhaps one day even a ruler. Her ambition was great, and her opportunities small. She heard the king wail and cry out for a hero, someone brave enough to seek the creature out in its lair. And she offered her sword and her fealty to him. The king, with wide and wild eyes, told her where to find the beast. The worm, he called it. The terrible worm. White as marble it is, just like marble, he told her. You must destroy it, and then you must somehow forget that it ever existed. Let all of us forget it ever existed. My king, I will do this for you. I shall bring you back its head. She didn't even wait for morning. She rode out that very night. She rode hard and fast until she found the cave near the ocean side just before sunup. And she went in, sword drawn and shield before her. She had heard the legends of dragons and fearsome creatures who lived in caves since she was a girl. She expected to step on the bones of dead knights and long-digested sheep and cows. She expected to be surrounded by glittering golden treasure and sparkling colorful jewels. But there was nothing like that here. It was empty. There was moss on the stone around her. There was clear blue water running through the cave. The sound of the waves lapping against the rocks felt clean and pure to her ears after years in a city that was nothing but laughter and shouting. The smell of the sea was sweet and cool after years of smelling only humans and their fire and smoke. It was so silent that she almost doubted her king. Until she heard the worm itself. Welcome, brave warrior. It called to her. How very strong, and how very handsome you are, in your shining bronze armor. I should like shining bronze armor such as that. Our hero held her sword aloft, trying to see the beast in the shadows. Where are you, snake? Show yourself, she called out. Snake. (laughs) The creature's voice echoed throughout the cavern, and she heard the sound of scales sliding against wet stone. Never have I been called Snake. I have been called Abomination. I have been called Devil. I have been called Nightmare. Nightmare. 
And, worst of all, I have been called Worm. But never have I been called Snake before. If it is what you desire me to be, then Snake I am, brave warrior. And with that, the creature slithered into the light of the brightening sun, which crept into the cave even as the two of them spoke. Its huge gleaming head came into view first. The king was right. It was white as marble. It gleamed and shone, and its skull was decked in a mane of white spikes that almost fitted it like a crown. Its teeth were even more clean and white, and its eyes shone white, but with flecks of blues and pinks and purples and greens, like brilliant opals. Its white-scaled body followed behind it, and the warrior couldn't help but tremble at the coiling lengths of the creature. How large, how strong, and how impossible it was. I've come here to defeat you. Prepare to meet your fate, she cried out. The creature laughed. <laughs> indeed, indeed. You are not the first to come here to destroy me. And you shall not be the last. It began to circle her the white eyes focused and unyielding. You have leave to try. What will you do? Stab me through the heart and bring it to your poor, suffering king? Pull my teeth and sell them for gold? Skin me of my scales and make yourself a tapestry of them? I will do more than that, the warrior called out. I will bring my king your head, and I will be honored for it. The creature stopped its coiling, and in the dim light of the newborn sun, the would-be knight could swear she saw the worm's great mouth curve into a smile. Then take your prize, brave warrior. That laugh came and went, ebbing and flowing as the sea. But I warn you, honor is a frightful, fickle ghost to chase. If you haven't got it within, then take care when seeking it without. Your riddles are unwelcome, and your head is mine the warrior said. So it must be, the worm said gravely. I will see you again, lovely, foolish hero. <laughs> Take your prize. And so she brought her sword down on the creature's neck. It took several tries, but she hewed its head from its body. She gracelessly tied it up with canvas and rope and attached it to her saddle. 
and she rode back to the city, dragging the worm's head behind her, where she presented it as a gift to her beloved king, now dying. Suffice to say, she was not offered a knighthood. The mad king, you see, had no heir. With weeping eyes and grateful words, he announced on his deathbed that the fearless hero should be his successor. And with that, he died. The people celebrated and honored their new warrior queen, who enemy countries would now fear and respect for her courage and boldness. They burned the worm's head in the city square, though the queen demanded its eyes be kept and preserved so that she could always keep them, two magnificent jewels to remind her where she came from. On the day of her coronation, the townspeople erected a statue to commemorate their new queen's victory. It was a statue of a strong, noble woman with a look of virtuous determination on her face, and she was fighting a craven and vicious-looking dragon with no limbs or wings. The creature's head looked similar to the one they had all seen burn, and only the queen knew that the expression of cowardice and rage was completely wrong. The beast had been placid and smiling, calm and content. It was an expression that the queen's nightmares wouldn't let her forget. As the time went on, she told herself the nightmares would pass, but they didn't. Every night she was in the cave once more, and the worm was there with her. It grew larger and larger every night, coiling around her over and over, so that all she saw was the marble white of those scales and the entrancing opal of those eyes. And the worm told her the same story every night. Once my kind were kings in this land, though no one called us this, for we had no need of being called anything. Creatures of all kinds, beast and man alike, feared and loved us. They worshipped us. If they did, they were blessed with peace and prosperity. And if they didn't, we had but one punishment. But she never said what the punishment was. The queen would wake screaming and refuse to sleep again, only able to stare into the jeweled eyes she had kept from her kill. She would stare into them and see universes of color, worlds of dancing dragons, snakes, worms, wyverns, basilisks, dragons of air, sea, earth, and fire. Long gone. For years the queen reigned, and she kept her sleepless secret. Her nightly companion, her white nightmare, visited her every time sleep kissed her eyelids. It was indeed maddening, though not torturous, 
for sometimes the worm had wise counsel to give, even if it was delivered in cryptic riddles. She warned against unnecessary war. She advised towards mercy and justice. She had tales of famine and drought from years past. And somehow, the wise queen always had the answer for her kingdom, even if she appeared more and more weak and frail and frantic with every passing year. Finally, in her middle age, she appeared old and weathered far beyond her years. She was tired. She had no heir of her own, either. For though she had dearly wanted one, fate was unkind to her. Some called her cursed. Though she brought prosperity and peace to her kingdom, her life and health and thoughts were plagued with shadow and pain. I can help you, the white worm spoke to her in her dreams. For though you destroyed me and took my life, and though you took my glorious crown and beautiful eyes, I shall grant you one more blessing. And that smile, that haunting reptilian smile, was back in the sunlight in her mind. What is it? The queen answered, begging, pleading. Tell me. Only leave me alone. Haunt my dreams no longer. Please, great worm, let me rest. And the worm purred two words. My eyes. She closed them, and when they opened, they were empty sockets. Two black, gaping shadows. My statue is missing something. And the queen awoke in that moment, and without hesitating, still in her nightgown, she grabbed her two prized jewels and ran into the city square barefoot. She placed the eyes in the bronze statue's eye sockets and she fell to her knees. It only took just a few seconds before the bronze before her squeezed its eyes shut, and then opened them, and grinned. Coming to life, it coiled around the statue of the young and noble queen. Then it coiled around the kneeling figure of the old and cursed queen herself, she could feel its hot breath against her skin. She could hear its laughter. And not the way it was in her dreams. This was the same laugh from all those years ago in that cave. How beautiful I am in my very own bronze armor. She purred admiringly. How splendid, how grand, just like you were all those years ago, before you became this thing, this 
worm. She hissed and laughed. And then, silent and smooth as the sun rising over a hill, the beast slithered its way out of the city. And the queen wept for relief. The nightmares would be gone. She would sleep more than an hour or two. She could sleep for an entire night. The world suddenly seemed brighter, and the weight on her shoulders suddenly seemed completely lifted. No one questioned her at the absence of the statue. She held a great feast that evening and toasted her own health with a hearty laugh. And she stumbled to bed that evening, the anticipation of a night's sleep too much to bear. She closed her eyes. Her mind drifted away into a blissful blackness. Until she saw the sun creeping into the cave again. No, not again, not again. This time she did not see gleaming white marble, but bronze. And she heard no advice, no wisdom, no warnings. Just the sound of slithering scales and the mocking word, worm. Worm. The creature called her, over and over and over. <laughs> and she woke, screaming. Every night, the queen tore her hair. She wept. She raged. Mad with desperation. She put out word that a champion must be found. Someone to go and destroy the terrible creature, living miles away from the kingdom, in a cave. I don't know how many more brave warriors went out to that cave to find their fortune. I don't know how many more statues of the worm were raised. I don't know how many times she shed her scales for each king, queen, or ruler she rotted from the inside out. But I do know that she's still there, in her cave. I spoke with that purring golden voice. I saw a glimpse of silver, a glimpse of gold, and eyes of opalescent white, green, pink, and blue. The only thing to do when you meet a sparkling dragon in its den is to bow and leave it, if it will let you. And so I did. You should do the same, should you meet one in your dreams tonight. Just turn back. Turn back 
and cause no harm. I wish you dreams that are sweet and warm and bright. But, in case they're not, heed my advice. Good night, my friends. Hello friends and welcome back for episode 94 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen Zaza, the writer, host, podcaster, creator, etc. I hope you've been well this week. I'd like to start with a quick thank you to two wonderful listeners who left reviews for the show on iTunes. First from Canada, we have Kitty Test, who left a five-star review called Obsessed, which reads, A friend who also is a horror fan told me about this podcast, and I am so glad she did. Atmospheric, emotive, compelling, stunning. The overarching storyline is intricate, and the episodic stories are spooky and heartbreaking. Thanks so much to Kitty Test for that super sweet review. Next, thank you to chemist underscore 07 from the US, who left us a five-star review with the title, Love the Whistle. It reads, Amazing storytelling, love to listen. I wish there would be longer episodes, though. Thank you so much, chemist underscore 07. Uh, Glad to hear that you love the whistle. That brought a smile to my face. And I'm certainly flattered that you'd like longer episodes. At the moment, I'm doing what I can to make these episodes happen as frequently as possible. Um, But I will bear that in mind for the future, though. Thank you so much, Kitty Test and chemist underscore 07 for taking the time to leave me such lovely reviews. If you want to support the show like those two listeners, leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, our Facebook page, or anywhere else you can. I'd really appreciate it. Also, just a quick note that this is the last week to vote for us in the People's Choice Awards in the Canadian Podcast Awards. Listeners are allowed to vote in that category, and if you'd like to help me win that one, head on over to awards.podcamptoronto.com before February 18th. Thank you so much for the nominations, friends. Fingers crossed. If you'd like to support the show financially, I'd love it if you checked out my Patreon page. On Patreon, every monthly patron of any amount receives access to my constantly updated soundtrack of the show, as well as a shout-out on air and over social media. Visit my page at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight for more information. You can also buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight if you'd like to donate just once and don't want to receive the soundtrack perk. We also have On a Dark Cold Night t-shirts and hoodies available to buy. Have a look at them at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. If you'd like to be kept in the loop about the show, you can follow me on Twitter at a dark cold night. 
Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, or on my Facebook page or YouTube channel, both called On a Dark Cold Night. Thank you as always for listening. Stay warm, be well, and sweet dreams, my friends. Goodbye. <laughs>